Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Shmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today we're taking the Shmooze on the road. Yiddish Book Center fellow and producer of the Shmooze, Zeke Levine, and I are taking you along on a trip to Studley Press in Dalton, Massachusetts, where the summer issue of Pockentrager is currently on press. On our visit, Zeke will ask questions many of our readers want answers to. How does the Yiddish Book Center's member magazine, Pockentrager, come together from start to finish? Worth noting, the issue that is on press is a special issue devoted to Yiddish writer Isaac Beshevitz Singer. The issue is occasioned by a decision by the Singer estate to allow the Yiddish Book Center to make Singer's novels and story collections in the original Yiddish freely available online through the Center's Steven Spielberg Digital Yiddish Library. The Yiddish originals were never widely distributed. They differ significantly from their English translations which makes their release a perfect opportunity for a reassessment of Singer and his work. So we are standing here in what appears to be a field in the middle of what appears to be nowhere. But Lisa, can you tell us where we actually are right now? We're at the Studley Press in Dalton, Massachusetts, which is located in the foothills of the Berkshires and about an hour from Amherst, from the Yiddish Book Center. So what are we doing here? What are we doing here, Zeke? Well, we're taking the schmooze on the road along with me. In addition to working on the schmooze, one of my other jobs is to work on Pockentrager, our English language member magazine. And we're here at Studley Press. They print the magazine twice a year for us. And uh, they're an amazing printer, wonderful group of people you'll see in a little bit. And you'll see the sort of printing process, how it all comes together. So they print, find, and get in the mail all of the issues to our members. That's fantastic. I'm looking forward to learning more about the process here. So, uh, you know, now that we're here, can you just give us a, a sort of brief start to finish about what is it like to make Pockentrager? How does Pockentrager get from the ideas of folks at the Yiddish Book Center into the hands of our, um, of our members? Fun question, and let me see if I can give you a quick little sort of start to finish. So um, we put out two issues of the magazine a year. And what we usually do is it follows the same template as other magazines I've worked at in my long career. We get together, the editorial team, and we have what's called a lineup meeting and we discuss ideas. Most of our issues now are sort of themed issues, so we pick a topic and then expand on it. And those are always really engaging conversations where a lot of different voices in the conversation toss about ideas and keep refining them. And we keep our readers in mind in terms of what's of interest for those of us who are looking to explore and sort of get a window into the richness both of the literature and the language and the culture um, and how do we explore that and again we do it topically so um, this issue for instance we are focusing on Isaac Beshevitz Singer so we get together for that meeting we refine ideas we do a follow-up meeting we come up with what is our list of feature stories we assign those to a number of writers some we write on staff every once in a while Aaron Lansky will write a piece David Mazower will write a piece um, and other staff members as well. Um, As freelance writers, we assign those. Those pieces get done. They come in. uh, We do the editing process. Then we begin to work on the associated art, which is a part of the process that I get involved in, which is always fun. And we figure out what, what are the images that go along that help to tell these stories. We work with commissioning illustrations with contemporary freelance illustrators as well as photographers. And we also do archival research, as you're familiar with, 
with Zeke because you've done a lot of that in your year here at the center. Um, so we, we put together that marriage of word and picture. We have an amazing design team. I'm sorry to keep using adjectives and superlatives, but really they are. It's um, Alexander Isley Design, who've been working with us since I started the magazine. We did a redesign. Um, and they take the words, they take the pictures, and they put them together into a magazine, into layouts. We get the layouts back again. We all review them. We make any needed changes. And it goes back, and it goes back and forth a little bit. And then all of this comes off to uh, the printer in the, the magic of the Internet. Uh, we post those files. Then we see blue line proofs. We read them again, look at them again correct any of the color and then I get the call from the printer that we are on press which is what we're here to do today so the press check which is the last part of the process is usually over a five-day period and you'll see what we're doing is checking that all the corrections have been made and adjusting color which is a very subjective thing so printers always like to make sure that a client is there to sign off since we're getting many 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 thousands of these and then from here they go and the sheets you'll see get cut um, on a cutter then they go to the binding they get folded they get um, put together in the bindery where we marry up the different signatures as we call them and then off to the mail house and into the mail and into the mailboxes so when we get a lot of calls from our members who are eagerly awaiting the next issue and a frequent response for those who are answering the phones um, shout out to Sarah Blakefeld um, when they say it's on press well now today literally you'll understand what we mean by the assurance that it's on press it'll be in the mail soon that's amazing. It's an amazing process, and I'm wondering, what are some challenges in general with creating Pock and Traeger, or even particularly or specifically with this Isaac Bashevis Singer issue? Um, what are some challenges that uh, you might face, and how do you sort of work um, yourself and with the team to overcome some of those challenges? Hmm, interesting questions. Well, I think if I had editors standing on either side of me, the answer to that question would probably be the same for all of us, which is we want to tell really good stories. We want to tell interesting, compelling stories. We have a certain amount of space to do that within. And stories that we're interested in. Um, so the challenges are uh, refining those ideas and seeing what what is doable given, um, you know, the the time frame and all the other, and um, and making making these stories compelling, readable, well researched, interesting, and we hope in most cases surprising. We're always trying to tell those aspects of the culture that maybe are not as familiar to others, or give access and, and send you off in a direction of discovery. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found um, how you found this printer? Um, what your history is with this printer. I know you mentioned before that um, that you have an interesting story of how you came to them. Mm. <laughs> uh, well, before I came to the Yiddish Book Center, I worked on a number of different national magazines, um, and I was actually with a design firm in um, Massachusetts, and several of the magazines were smaller run magazines um, and we found our way to Studley Press. They do a lot of art catalogs for New York galleries and a limited number, we're very lucky that they do our magazine, a limited number of magazines here. Um, and so it was just a lucky coincidence too that they happened to be in our backyard. That's great. So why don't we take a walk around, um, sort of 
We'll have the sights, but for our listeners, you'll have the sounds of what it's like to be on press here um, at Studley Press in uh, Western Massachusetts in the Berkshires. So we are inside the press right now, and Lisa is taking me to the bindery. That's kind of our first stop on the tour here. We're kind of going to go backwards in the process, Zeke, because right now we're waiting for the press to tell us that they're ready to look at sheets. You're always at the mercy of the press operators and the press uh, schedule, which is fine because these people are craftsmen to the nth, and I'd rather that... I wait for them, then they wait for me. So we're at the bindery, which is pretty much the last stop before it goes into the mail. It's not running. You can hear it idling in the background. But each one of the sheets, which is um, we print on a sheet-fed press, we print sheets that have 16 pages on them, and they go through. You can see, for our listeners, what we're looking at is a really long machine that's got rollers. It takes the individual sheets with the 16 pages, which are now flat, runs them along the rollers. They go up into um, this sort of ski slope chute. Would that be safe to say, Zeke? Um, I think so. Okay, they go up in there, and then they go through a series of um, little stations in which they all get folded. So the 16 pages eight on one side, eight on the other, get folded into what we refer to as a signature. And each one of those folded signatures is then folded like it will appear in the magazine and the pagination works if we've done our work correctly, which we so far have. Um, And then each one of those signatures, once they're folded, get placed on top of one another. It's almost like tents where you take um, a signature, you straddle it over one of these um, metal bars, and then it goes through a, um, and each pocket, as we refer to them in the bindery equipment, houses one of those folded signatures. A little armature comes and picks it up. It's like a Rube Goldberg contraption. Picks up signature, plops it down on the next one, plops it down on the next one. So our magazine usually has about six signatures. Once that happens, and as I say, it's sort of like if you imagine a folded piece of paper as a V going one on top of the other, miraculously, when you're done, it comes out flat at the end of this machine that we're looking at, Zeke, right here at this little sort of, again, for lack of a better word, what we would call a bed. And what will happen is um, then the magazine will be all paginated in the correct order, and it will have two staples in it to hold it together. And the top parts of the pages will still be um, need to be trimmed because they'll still be connected. Because, again, we folded big pieces of paper into um, small page sizes. And so then the magazine is ready to go to the next station, which is over here. And I will say for our listeners, anybody who's been to the Yiddish Book Center and seen our linotype and who has commented on how complicated the machinery seems... Um, it's sort of hard to express how intricate and complicated some of this machinery is. So you can see that things things don't change as quickly as you think they might. I'm going I'm to carry on with what you've just said, Zeke, which is really fascinating to me. So I'm looking right now at a piece, of, it's a table where they put the, the sheets from the press. And we have the exact same... It's sort of fabricated from pieces of metal pipe with metal kind of wheels. It's really heavy as I'll get up. Here we are. It's 2018, and that is exactly the same piece of side equipment 
as was used in the um, Yiddish print shop, which we have facsimiles of pieces of equipment at the center. Also really interesting, just dawned on me last night, I mentioned that we're here today for our Singer issue, and in the Singer issue, we have an incredible feature about uh, these just recently unearthed, found, lost printing plates. They're called stereotypes, and you can read about them in the magazine. They were recently found in Poland, and you think that all these many years later, um, probably actually close to 100 years later, here we are again telling stories in print, in type, in text, slightly different machinery, but the same idea, and it, there's a nice continuity to that. We haven't just gone all digital on everybody. They're, um, in the same way singer stories were first produced, they've evolved slightly, and here we are again on a press telling that story in much the same way. This is the, uh, the folding machine as I was describing it. So you see each one of these little units um, are referred to in the, in the vernacular of publishing or printing as a pocket. So each pocket holds a different signature. So you see it's one, two, three, four signatures that make up this little booklet that we're looking at. This isn't our magazine set up yet. Um, and they, it goes, it picks it up, it picks it up, and you see it here at the end. Each one of them has been um, folded into the next signature, into the next signature, and what comes out at the end is the final product. And you can see that it's got these funny little, um, they're color bars on the side, which obviously don't um, appear in the book when it's finally in the hands of its reader. Those, we walk over here, once they come off of this machine, then they go over here to this gargantuan machine, which I find to be extremely scary. Um, it's called a guillotine uh, uh, cutter. It's all mechanized so that um, you don't have to worry about your fingers. Not like the old days. Um, and it gets those uh, superfluous parts that are used for the printing technology part of this. Um, or those parts which are used... Um, to measure the color, as I just mentioned, the color bars, all of that's trimmed off as well as the tops of the pages so that you can read through it. Um, and then they go on to these skids and get um, ready to be loaded into a truck and taken off to the mailhouse. And this is, again, quite an impressive-looking machine. All of these different stages, the machinery involved is just so impressive-looking. I think it's amazing for people who are going to be reading Pockentrager, holding that magazine and then realizing all of the stages that those pieces of paper went through to get into your hands. Um, and right now we're, at a, we're here and a couple of the different people who, are, who work at Studley are not um, here with us uh, at their stations, but Jerry Helms, who does the cutting, um, we saw uh, Scott, the press operator, etc. I have to say one of the really compelling reasons to work here at Studley, and I'm not just saying this, um, <laughs> is that they care as much about this magazine as we do. Um, and it's been an interesting journey for them to learn about Yiddish um, culture as they you know, work on the magazine and, and see it through to press. And again, their, their dedication is matched by ours. Yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out that we are kind of in this very beautiful pastoral setting. And if you've ever been to the Yiddish Book Center, you know that's the same kind of setting that the Yiddish Book Center is in. So it really is quite a great match um, in, in every sense. We're now heading downstairs to the next stage of the process. Which is 
which is actually the first stage of the process. I should have told you, but you're learning as we go here, Zeke. Um, we are now in the pre-press area. You'll notice that parts of it are dark because uh, we're scanning, th they're scanning things here. So all of our artwork comes into this department and gets scanned and reviewed for its uh, accuracy in terms of the color depiction. And, you know, we do a lot of color correcting, which they do really well here at Studley. Again, they're really invested in what this end product looks like, which makes it very happy for us. Um, and all of the files that our design team at Alex Isley sends over come here. The images and the text and all get married. And then we see proofs. So over here, we'll just take a quick walk. This rather odd-looking machine is um, the printing proofing system. So um, we get color proofs that come out of here, and you can see the different rollers and Ouija's. It all goes, feeds into here, and what comes out the other side is a color proof. Um, so here we are in pre-press, um, and as I mentioned, they do all of the work of putting together the images and the text, et cetera. And here is Hobie, who I've worked with for more years than I care to um, admit on 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 our podcast. Hobie, say hello. You do great work. Uh, what are any of the challenges with the color with some of our images? I know we have a lot of historic images, which can sometimes be challenging, yeah? Uh, we do a lot of cloning, a lot of fixing. Some of them come in a little bit too dark. We had to lighten them up a little bit and deal with the shadows, but overall, they're pretty good. Great. Um, well, you do really good work, and you make all those archival photographs look really good and we appreciate it thanks thank you very much What's this big so what are we looking at right now lisa we're looking at what we used to call and i think hobie we still call the color booth and what it is is it's a 5000k um, lights which is the cleanest maybe i'll let hobie explain exactly what 5000k light is it's but it's a perfect viewing light to look at color corrections it's one of the cleanest light sources that they have out there right now and it gives you all the definition that's in the color proof itself so you put it in the color proof and you can compare it to the original and you go from there so what we're doing is we're looking at making sure that um, the the depiction that we have in the magazine is as close to the original as is humanly possible there are a lot of steps as we're learning along the way all of which affect how the color looks and the reason that we look at it in the booth is because it gives you one very um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, it's, uh, it's controlled basically you're going to get a lot of different lighting where you go you go outside you're going to get a different kind of color you go to different other lights but this is the most accurate light like in the museum that you're going to find and it's consistent no matter where you go. So if I'm looking at a proof here, and if we were to have one of these booths back at the center where I could look at color corrections there, it would it would give me um, a controlled way of looking at it. I, I will do a quick aside. I was on a press check, not here, a million years ago, um, and I was looking at something, and we were trying to get the color nailed down. And, you know, if you move it from one situation, lighting situation, to another, if you take the sheet off of the bench, as we call it's it, where different. it's placed, it's different. And I think that the press operator, because it was a web press, which goes at a million miles per hour, and you're eating up paper, he was getting a little worried that it was going to take me too long. And he, he finally thought I was being too fussy. He said, here, here's a quarter. Go get on a bus and see what it looks like when you're reading it on the bus. <laughs> so I learned you can only control so much. Yes, there, there's... Like I said, there's a lot of different kind of light out there, and trying to match the original is pretty tough, but 
once you get it close, it's a, it's a very good satisfaction of matching it. And there's a real art to that, I will mention too, because again, paper affects the way that the ink sits on it um, and the way that it's reproduced, knowing how much, as we call it, gain there is with the four colors. Um, all of the printing that we do is reduced to four color printing, which means it's magenta, cyan, yellow, and black, which is the way we see color in nature. It's made up of those four prime colors and then mixed together at different percentages. They show you color as we know it. Um, so knowing all of these nuances and the science and the printing is something that is learned over uh, a career. And the results are when you get on press, as we do here at Studley, things go really well and the color is as true as is humanly possible. Correct. So I'm speaking now with Suzanne Salonetti, the owner of Studley Press, um, just to get some answers to some questions about Pock and Traeger and about what life is like here at the press. We've learned a lot already, and it will be great to hear, in her own words, how things operate. So, Suzanne, just tell me a little bit about what you do here, what's, what's it like to, to be here, what kind of projects you guys usually take on. The kind of projects we take on, um, um, from probably what you can see in the sheets around us, is mostly art. Um, so we have a gallery catalog behind you, over here, and another one up here. These are different books that are in, in progress, in process. Um, and I would call myself, uh, you know, chief cook and bottle washer, because you just have to do a little bit of everything around here. Um, and we absolutely love doing Pock and Trager, um twice a year. And we've we've come to know it, and we're learning we're learning the language little by little. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, and we like it. It's a little bit different, a little different project every time you turn around. It's not you know you're not making the same thing day after day after day. So um, it's a challenge, mm -hmm. but we we love it. In your words, what's the stage? What stage is Lisa in right now? This is the proofing stage. Is that correct? No, Lisa's actually oh, no. on press now. On press, okay. What happens with the magazine, I'm sure you've been through this, is that they it, it forms itself months before we see it with writers, photographers, editing, and then it goes to the design phase. The design phase is right before we get it. Then we get it and we show final proofs. And it goes through. It just went through another little bit of editing right before it went to press. So right now Lisa's okaying, I think, the third press sheet, and there's a total of... Um, Five on this on this particular edition, which is quite a bit more than usual. Usually, there's three, um, and so right now it's in it's in the press room, and in the next couple days it's going into the bindery, which means we're folding it down, and it goes on to be finished in, in stitching, um, then off to the mail house and into the mail. Fantastic. So so we're very close to the end. You are on this particular um, volume slash issue. Yes, yes. This is. Um, this is the light at the end of the tunnel for the folks that put the book together. Yeah. yeah. And then start the process again in six months. Yes, they do. Well, it, actually, it'll start in fewer than six because it's six months when it goes to press. But they're starting the process over probably in a couple months to put the next book together. Yeah. So at what part of the process do you get involved? So they go through all the editorial stuff, they put stuff together, and then at what point do they call you? When the designer is complete, then they send us finished files. Um, and we start proofing it. So that uh, these files, well, this one, typically you'll be on press within a week. Um, but we did some editing on this back and forth, and I think a few things were redesigned. 
So um, it was a little slower than usual, um, but that's when we get the files, is, is when the designer's done. And, and the library has signed off on everything because they're reading and reading and reading and replacing and no, this doesn't work and you know that does work. And then once that they're signed off on it, then we see everything. Thank you. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. My name is Tomer Stern, Development Fellow here at the Center. For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, please visit YiddishBookCenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to episode 165, Lisa Newman's November 2017 conversation with Janet Rusek and David Scheinbaum about their new book, Remnants, Photographs of the Lower East Side. Until next time, be well, be healthy. Sei gesund. Thank you.